Maloni, Talofalava, and welcome to Champions of the Pacific. I'm Tali Anderson. I'm Vinnie Wiley. Today we meet the first Samoan boxer to win a major world title. He tells us about the challenges and lessons he learnt going pro. And we chat to the man who puts the speed in the flying Fijians. Marcelino Masoi was the first Samoan boxer to win a major world title, but the opportunity almost never happened. He represented American Samoa at the Olympics on three separate occasions. But with his pregnant wife back home in Samoa and his amateur days coming to an end, Masoi was ready to call his time in the ring. And then a call from a friend, a brother, former Samoan-born New Zealand professional boxer, Whamwina Toaletai Mafafau David Tua. Masoi and his family sat down with me and social media journalist Faivai Selo Pepe and Rick Sitanile to talk about the sacrifice and lessons he learnt going pro and the moment it all came down to in 2004. When I came back from the, the last Olympic, 96, I threw my shoes my, in my bag and put it under the house and said, oh, I think I did. And I get my welding helmet, my tools, and said, back to the Starkies, that's where I'm working full-time because I work for my uncles and even the shipyard. Which, like I said, I'm a qualified welder. I'm back to my work. And then I was working one day at the shipyard and I got a phone call from here, from, oh no, no, from America, sorry. Oh, Maish, you wanna come to New Zealand? This is from David Tua. Mm. And start your professional career from there. And I said, oh, how? Oh, no, no, keep in touch with Kevin Perry and then they sort it out and then you can come. When David uh, rang and then mentioned Kevin Perry, but I met Kevin Perry before too, and then said, okay, all right. And then Kevin sent the visa, came over here, and then started my professional career. But a sad story, when I came to New Zealand, fight under Kevin Barry and Martin P. Went to America for another year and a half or two, with a purpose, gonna come back and buy a house for, for her and the family. The meeting with Kevin Barry and uh, Martin that day, Give me the, all the paperwork and say, Mais, you owe us money. And then I said to myself, okay, thank you very much, but uh, I'll go think about it and I'll come back. And then after probably two weeks, I came back and asked Kevin, oh, can I borrow a grant from you? But I already uh, kept in touch with the MIT uh, instructor, the teacher there, who. I want to set a certificate, a New Zealand certificate, a welding ticket. So I have to pay for it. So I got no money at all that time. So I went there, paid, and the teacher said, oh, you want to work? I said, yeah. Before I do the test, and they asked me if I want to work before I get the result. So I said, yeah, I need a... So I worked for that guy uh, in uh, Takapuna, you know, North Shore. Like I said, it's a sad story going to America and leave her and, and my daughter back in those days and come back with the purpose to buy a house for us. But And I said to myself, I still want to fight. I still I still got the, 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 the good to, to do the, the business. I want to put my name on my mouth. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have the time of 44 seconds in round number two. A referee in charge, Tommy Kimmons, stops the contest. He's the winner by way of technical knockout and the new WBA middleweight champion of the world, Masalino Masoy. Biggest highlights of your of your career was the 2004 fight mm -hmm. with Evans Ashira for this very belt, and I'm looking at it. I'm 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 buzzing out. I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> how was your um? How were your preparations for that fight? Because we now know that you spent a lot of time away from your family when you started your career. Was preparations for this fight any different? Yes, it is. It is. I camp in Australia, and I stay there. And this is this is the new people too. This is someone trained me and managed me too. When you, we, when you started preparing for this bout, did you feel like you had something to prove? You know, after all of the stuff with Barry, um, yes, yes. Going pro later, did you? Yeah, did you yeah. have that in your mind? Like you're going out there to prove yes, something? Yes, yes. Especially because honestly, and I still see that today, the Kiwi people they are still racist. Because every time I jump in the ring, if, and even if I won that title, the 2014, oh, you're not supposed to get it. You're not supposed to get there. Especially, yeah, I, I heard a lot, and then I said to myself, okay, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to go fight. I train. So I train hard in, in uh, Prince uh, Brisbane, yeah. Leave my family back, and I went there, train, do all the hard work. And I went to this fight. With my confidence, I'm gonna go to win the fight. No, no, nothing in my head. That's all I wanted to do. I was in good shape and uh, and I prepared well for, for that fight. I was watching that fight. Evans got knocked down in the first, and it was right before the bell rang, and then not even like a minute into round two, and he had already secured the bell. So after the bell, um, what was going through your mind? You know when the referee called it stop, and you and you realized that this belt was not yours. Honestly, the first thing jumped in my mind. I thank Scott for what he done for me. Even all these years, because like I said, I cry, I cry all the time, leaving my family behind. Uh, not even that, my father had the Parkinson's disease, and uh, even my family. Uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, of hurt, yeah. I don't want the, uh, the new fighters of the island, all the islands, Samoa, Tonga, to come through, because even it's not a good thing. And uh, for my advice too, because my kids, some of, especially my daughter, they want to get in the ring. Okay, no, nope. that's enough. That is only, let me do it. So that's it, no more. So I, I encourage them to, to do better and do good at school, not, not in the ring, no, because it's hurt, it's hurt. Two Rugby World Cup appearances, four World Seven Series titles, and two Olympic gold medals. Natha Kawanembuka's dream of being a professional player didn't quite pan out. But Fiji Rugby's fitness guru has been instrumental in the country's success in sevens and fifteens for almost 15 years. Now he's taking on a new challenge 
as head of athletic performance for the country's first ever super rugby team, the Fijian Indrua. My course took a big turn when I went to Teachers College, which is where my, my, my old man, my father was principal there at the time. So he was a big influencer and my parents were uh, to change my direction going there. But what it did was it gave me a skill set in the teaching arena uh, that allowed me to come through this pathway. And I count myself really, you know, fortunate to have, uh, to have come through that because I have my mates who, you know, reached pro, pro rugby, made a big, big name for themselves. They're back on island. But I guess, you know, what do you lean back on after your rugby career? So for me, I think that academic pathway I took, even though I, I, I didn't make it in the pro rugby, uh, I, I think that's what has brought me this far. And were you always a good trainer as a player? Obviously, you've moved into that strength and conditioning, athletic performance field. Uh, were you always one of those model students or members of the team that always did their work in the off-season, worked hard at training? Did you, did you win most of the races? Pretty much, because uh, my old man was... He was national coach for three sports here, right? Volleyball, track and field, and Fiji Sevens. So he coached Serevi and I when we played for the Fiji Sevens. So he is big on uh, physical education and, and, and uh, fitness training. So I, I kind of like had access to all the programs he had. And because we had our own gym and field and all, you know, all those kind of things, that's, that's what I was into the whole time, apart from farming at home. And, um, you know, by the time you moved into the strength and conditioning and obviously working with Ben Ryan, as you say, with Fiji Sevens, um, you know, he talked during his time about how he had to completely rethink, you know, like he's come from this high performance environment in England, more money than you could think of, all these elite guys earning, you know, good money with all the facilities in the world, but it's a little bit different in Fiji uh, and not just in terms of facilities, but in terms of how you motivate these players, you know, what you actually do to get them fit and, and what they respond to. The game changer was when Ben came on and he is probably one of the very first uh, head coaches who came in and worked with me hand in glove. And we just pushed the standards through. And it's it's more powerful when it's coming from the head coach rather than the head conditioner on fitness standards. So he backed me on that. And, and we made fitness as a non-negotiable within the team for selection. And that has carried through with Gareth who's come on board. And we've made that a rule of thumb. And, and associated with physical fitness and conditioning was obviously the nutrition, the recovery element of it, and discipline. And I've always said, when we entertain excessive cover drinking and alcohol and all those kind of things, that's something that not only derails performance, you know, but also the, the, the human personal side. We've seen a lot of uh, players who have really broken their future opportunities because of these things. I know it's not only a problem, you know, in Fiji alone, it's, it's all over the world, you know, alcohol and things like that. It's not bad in itself, but obviously with our context, it's taken out of proportion. And, and sometimes, you know, L, uh, athletes or players who come to the elite level think that they can still get away with what you'll probably do as an ordinary person out there. But this is a different ball game altogether. For us, that's been the big game changer, uh, where we've just instilled a very strong discipline culture and, and we drive the fitness standards. Fitness is king. And speaking of environments, obviously this long-awaited Super Rugby debut for the Indrua, what do you make of this opportunity finally being at the doorstep? But we've got thousands and thousands of players running all over the fields in Fiji looking for an opportunity. So you won't have, you won't be short of motivation, really. And, and now that the pathway is clear with the current Indrua program that we've got stacks of players coming through from Skipper, the motivation will only rise. And, you know, there's a, there's a big wave that we're riding now. You know, hopefully... What we're trying to push through now is coaching and training education within our development ranks from schoolboy, uh, you know, schools, clubs, and just trying to increase learning, knowledge, and capacity 
within our, our ranks out there in the communities. I think that's that's quite big. And also the fact now that Super Rugby in Fiji is massive. You only have to see the crowds that rocked up for the Crusaders Chiefs, uh, you know, those teams that came here. That's how much Super means to Fiji, you know, and people are crazy. They have their own teams and backing and following. Now that they have their own Drua team, that's going to be really interesting now because you've got a team that rubs shoulders with the best of the Wallabies and the All Blacks week in, week out over a six-month period. I mean, there's nothing better than that, isn't it, in 15s rugby? So I think it only all go well for flying Fijians and uh, and Rugby World Cup where all rugby programs are measured. The Andrua are due to march into quarantine mid-October to begin pre-season in November in Australia. So that two or three-month period before kickoff in February, what are you focused on in terms of getting this team ready come round one? We're just trying to create foundations for the team. From the 1st of November, there's about right, 15 weeks before kickoff. And in that time, important pillars for the team in terms of culture, in terms of, you know, the playing group, the coaching staff getting to gel. It's a new environment where everyone's coming in. But non-negotiables, like, you know, the relationships within the group and the identity and the purpose and things like that has to be right and the culture. And uh, physical conditionings. We have to have the big rocks in place and obviously the rugby components. Obviously, I've started to talk, to talk with, uh, with the players who have signed on and uh, they know everyone is starting from zero. And we will have to be in the best physical conditioning come come Super Rugby time. Uh, because this 15-week block is going to be the foundation we need for the 15- or 16-week competition period come Feb next year. be interesting where we will be, you know, to come up against the very best in New Zealand and Australia. If you want to hear more from champions of the Pacific like Marcelino Masoi and Nata Kawanembuka, you can find us online at rnz.co.nz. Just click on the Pacific tab. You can also download us from Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Until next time, kakite.